Hello, James Kenny here, and this is my podcast, Land of the Golden Sunset, the evolution of the Irish from biblical times. This is episode number nine, entitled The Irish Rebellion of 1641, the Confederation of Kilkenny, and Lords Inchiquin and Ormond. May I remind you that you can become a patron by visiting podbean.com, and it would be nice to get some reaction from you. This can also be done on podbean.com. It would be nice to start a conversation regarding this podcast and its content. Take care. On the 23rd of October, 1641, the Irish rebelled under the leadership of Sir Phelim O'Neill. The Irish Rebellion began as an attempted coup d'etat by Irish Catholic gentry who tried to seize control of the English administration in Ireland to force concessions for Catholics. The coup failed, however, and the rebellion developed into an ethnic conflict between Irish Catholics on one side and the English and Scottish Protestants on the other. The rebellion followed the plantation of Ulster by Protestant settlers from Britain. It began a conflict known as the Eleven Years' War. The rising was sparked by Catholic fears of an impending invasion of Ireland by anti-Catholic forces of the English Long Parliament and Scottish Covenanters, who were defying the authority of Charles I. In turn, the rebels suspected association with Charles helped start the English Civil War. The English and Scottish parliaments refused to raise an army to put down the rebellion unless it was under their command, rather than the king's. The planners of the rebellion were a small group of Irish landowners, mainly Gaelic-Irish, and from the heavily planted province of Ulster. Hugh Ogie McMahon and Conor Maguire were to seize Dublin Castle, while Philem O'Neill and Rory O'Moore were to take Derry and the other northern towns. The rebellion was to be executed on the 23rd of October, 1641. Their plan was to use surprise rather than force to take their objectives without bloodshed, and then issue their demands in expectation of support from the rest of the country. The plan for the bloodless seizure of power was foiled when the authorities in Dublin heard of the plot from an agent, a Protestant convert named Owen O'Connolly, and they arrested Maguire and McMahon. A letter of the Lord Justices, Sir John Burleys and Sir William Parsons, to Robert Sidney, Earl of Leicester, the Lord Lieutenant, said that they hoped for an extirpation not of the mere Irish only, but of all the old English families that were Roman Catholic. Sidney, Lord Leicester, was appointed Lord Lieutenant of Ireland in place of the Earl of Strafford, when the governorship of Dublin became vacant. Leicester appointed George Monk, but Charles I overruled the appointment in favour of Lord Lambert. In 1643, Sidney resigned without having set a foot in Ireland. Following the recall to England of Strafford, Lord Deputy of Ireland, 
Sir John Burleigh's and Sir William Parsons were appointed Joint Lord Justices of Ireland by the Protectorate in February 1641. The two men were the virtual rulers of Ireland until their dismissal in 1644, when the Marquis of Ormond took over as Lord Lieutenant. William Parsons was one of the Lord Justices of Ireland in 1640. He also served as Surveyor-General of Ireland and was MP for Wicklow County in 1639. When the Irish Rebellion of 1641 broke out, Parsons had to cope with it virtually single-handed since his colleague Borlase was old and incompetent. His management of the crisis has been much criticised, in particular his habit of dealing with the English Parliament directly without informing King Charles I. His enemies accused him of inflaming or even provoking the rebellion as a pretext for a second and more thorough conquest of Ireland. Certainly, he argued that the rebellion must be crushed ruthlessly and rejected all attempts at compromise. The Irish, over time, had to fight against successive ruthless armies from England that came against them, inflamed by the Puritans with a hatred of all Catholics. The Confederation of Kilkenny was the period of Irish self-government between 1642 and 1649, during the Eleven Years' War. During this time, two-thirds of Ireland was governed by the Confederation based in Kilkenny. It was formed by Irish Catholic nobles, clergy and military leaders after the Irish Rebellion of 1641. The Confederation had what were effectively a parliament and executive. A regular government was formed and they established an army under Onru O'Neill in Ulster, Thomas Preston in Leinster, Garrett Barry in Munster, and John Burke in Connacht. The Confederation also had its own seal, described as follows. "'Twas circular, and in its centre was a large cross, the base of which rested on a flaming heart, while its apex was overlapped by the wings of a dove, on the left of the cross was the harp, and on the right the crown. The motto on the seal was Pro Deo Rege et Patria Hiberni Unanimes For God, King and Fatherland, Ireland is united. A national treasury, a mint for making coins, and a press for printing proclamations were set up in Kilkenny. The first General Assembly set until the 9th of January 1643. Over a period of several months, the Irish had some limited success, but the Puritans were fortified by the English army under Sir Charles Coote, and they soon reversed the position. Clarendon, who was no friend of the Irish Catholics, writes in a very cynical way, besides plundering and burning the town of Clontarf, Sir Charles Coote, did massacre 16 men, women and infants, and 50 similar types in the village at Bullock Harbour. In 1641, Coote was appointed Governor of Dublin and instructed to raise a regiment. He then marched south to secure Wicklow, marching north in 1642 to defeat the rebels at Swords and kill Salahan. 
In April 1642, he was ordered by James Butler, the first Duke of Ormond, to relieve the beleaguered garrisons at Burr, Boris, and Knocknamass, after which he rejoined Ormond's main force to defeat the Irish Confederates at the Battle of Kilrush in April 1642. In early May of that year, he helped capture the garrisons of Philipstown and Trim, but was killed at Trim on the 7th of May 1642 during a Confederate counter-attack. An edict at the time said, It is resolved that it is fit that his lordship do endeavour with his majesty's forces to wound, kill, slay and destroy by all the ways and means that he may all the said rebels and their adherents and relievers and burn, spoil, and waste, consume, destroy, and demolish all the places, towns, and houses where the rebels are or have been relieved or harboured, and all hay and corn therein, and to kill and destroy all the men there inhabiting, capable of bearing arms. Given at the Castle of Dublin, February 23rd, 1641, and signed by six precious names. Another unbelievable slaughter was inflicted on the old, the infants and their mothers when Sir Arthur Loftus, governor of Nace, surrounded a hill where the innocent had fled to in order to try and escape his brutality and were hiding in the gorse and bushes. Loftus set the furs ablaze, thus burning young and old to death and forcing back into the flames anyone who tried to escape. Hugh Ogie McMahon, Irish rebel, born about 1606, was the son of Sir Brian McHugh Ogie McMahon, Lord of Dartry in County Monaghan, who had married a daughter of Hugh O'Neill, Earl of Tyrone. Having served for some time abroad as Lieutenant Colonel in the Spanish Army, McMahon returned to Ireland, where he had recently inherited a good estate at Conaghy in the parish of Kilivanan, in County Monaghan. Apparently about 1641, and probably for the purpose of assisting in enlisting recruits for the Spanish service, he was induced to join the rebellion of 1641, and was appointed with Conor Maguire and others to undertake the capture of Dublin Castle. Among his acquaintances was one Owen O'Connolly, a man of some standing at one time in the employment of Sir John Quatworthy, and though a protectant supposed to be secretly attached to the Roman Catholic religion, and not averse to the plans of the rebels. McMahon invited O'Connell to visit him on business of great importance at his house at Conaghy, a day or two before the date assigned for the outbreak of the rebellion. But being unable to wait for him, he proceeded to Oxman Town near Dublin, at which place he was to be joined by the other rebels. O'Connolly came on Friday evening, the 22nd of October, and was made acquainted with the details of the plot by McMahon. But alarmed by what he had heard, O'Connolly revealed the secret to the Lord Justices, Sir William Parsons and Sir John Burleys, and they, taking instant measures, arrested McMahon. After some show of resistance, 
early on the following morning, he was brought before the council, where he at first denied all knowledge of the rebellion, but eventually confessed enough to destroy himself and impeach some others. After several months' confinement in Dublin, he was by order of the Parliament sent to England with Conor Maguire and Colonel Reid. In June 1642, and committed to the Tower, he was examined by the judges of the King's Bench, but owing to the difficulty of obtaining witnesses from Ireland, he was recommitted to the Tower, where he remained until the 17th of August 1644, when, with the assistance of two priests attached to the Spanish Embassy, he and his fellow prisoner, Conor Maguire, managed to escape. A reward of £100 was offered for his apprehension. And on the 19th of September, McMahon and Maguire were discovered accidentally by a servant of Sir John Clotworthy's in a constable's house in Drury Lane. He was at once recommitted to the Tower. On the 18th of November 1644, he was arraigned before the court of the King's Bench. The prosecution was conducted by Prenn, and having been found guilty of high treason, he was executed at Tyburn on the 22nd of November 1644, and being asked if he desired any to pray for him, answered, none but Roman Catholics. Conor Maguire, second Baron of Enniskillen, 1616-1645, was an Irish nobleman from Ulster who took part in the Irish Rebellion of 1641. He was executed for high treason. Connor was born in County Fermanagh, the son of Sir Brian Maguire, who was created a peer on account of the family loyalty to the English crown. The family was granted land in their traditional power base of Fermanagh by James I, as part of the plantation of Ulster. His mother was an O'Neill, which brought a connection to the leading family of Ulster. He is said to have been partly educated at Magdalen College, Oxford, but did not matriculate in the university. His brother, Rory Maguire, married into a leading planter family and sat for Fermanagh in the 1640 Parliament. In June 1642, Maguire, McMahon and Reid were moved to the Tower of London, and 11 months later they were transferred to Newgate Prison as close prisoners. In October 1643, Reid escaped when Maguire and McMahon were sent back to the Tower. In August 1644, both Maguire and McMahon escaped, but were retaken within six weeks. After many delays, Maguire was brought to trial in the King's Bench before Justice Francis Bacon in February 1645. McMahon had already been hanged. The peerage in Maguire's case made it difficult. There were precedents for trying in England treasons committed in Ireland. That being admitted as good law, it was easy to show that an Irish peer was a commoner in England, and as such Maguire was tried. Many points of law were raised, but he was sentenced to be hanged, drawn and quartered. He was a Catholic, but was not allowed a priest, and was executed at Tyburn. Sir John Clothworthy was accused by Sir Walter Earle of having a hand in the escape from the Tower of London of Colonel John Reid, a supposed conspirator in the 1641 Rising, who was captured and imprisoned with McMahon and Maguire. What happened to him afterwards still remains a mystery.
unfavorable economic conditions also contributed to the outbreak of the rebellion. The Irish economy had hit a recession and the harvest of 1641 was poor. Interest rates in the 1630s had been as high as 30% per annum. The leaders of the rebellion, like Philem O'Neill and Rory O'Moore, were heavily in debt and risked losing their lands to creditors. What was more, the Irish peasantry were hard hit by the bad harvest and were faced with rising rents. Historian Nicholas Canny writes, Most insurgents seemed anxious for a resolution of their immediate economic difficulties by seizing the property of any of the settlers. These popular attacks did not usually result in loss of life, nor was it the purpose of the insurgents to kill their victims. They nevertheless were gruesome affairs because they involved face-to-face confrontations between people who had long known each other. A typical attack involved a group of Irish descending upon a Protestant family and demanding, at knife point, that they surrender their movable goods. Killings usually only occurred where Protestants resisted. In the late 1630s, Strafford, the Lord Deputy of Ireland, proposed a new round of plantations, though these had not been implemented by 1641, when 60% of the land still belonged to Catholics. The Confederation eventually sided with the Royalists in return for the promise of self-government and full rights for Catholics after the war. They were defeated, however, by the English Parliament's new model army under Oliver Cromwell from 1649 through to 1653, and land ownership in Ireland passed largely to Protestant settlers. In May 1646, King Charles I fled to Scotland and took refuge. He threw himself upon the mercy and loyalty of the Scottish Parliament, in which the lowland covenanting element predominated. His rebellious subjects on the southern side of the border, thirsting for blood, offered to buy him from the Scots. After haggling over the price, like dealers selling horses at a fair, the unfortunate Charles was sold for a price of £400,000. When the blood money was paid over, the English returned triumphantly to London with their royal prize. When they reached Whitehall, they publicly murdered Charles I, their king, on the 30th of January, 1649. Strafford's court of wards bred some infamous pups, but none more dreaded than Murrow MacDermot O'Brien, 6th Baron Inchiquin, 1st Baron O'Brien of Burn, 1st Earl of Inchiquin, He was known as Morrow of the Burnings, in reverence to extensive burnings of the land, crops, livestock and dwellings of the Irish, who would not convert to Anglicanism. Haverty recounts a monster massacre which filled the whole country with horror at the time, and for generations since. Inchiquin and his troops marched on Cashel, 
which he besieged. The women and children took refuge in the cathedral on the famed rock. Inchiquin poured in volleys of musket balls through the doors and windows. Unmoved by the piercing shrieks of the women and children huddled together inside, he sent in his troops to finish them off with pike and sword. The floor was piled high with mangled bodies of the innocent. When the soldiers found twenty priests who had sought shelter within the precincts of the high altar, they were dragged out and without any compunction they were brutally slaughtered. On the 20th of August 1642, Inchiquin, with only 2,000 foot soldiers and 400 cavalry, overthrew General Garrett Barry at the Battle of Liscarroll. Barry had 7,000 foot soldiers and 1,500 cavalry. Inchiquin was himself wounded in the head and hand. On the 14th of April 1648 came the news that Inchiquin had changed sides and declared for King Charles II. Inchiquin received a commission from the Duke of Ormond, and as Lieutenant General made himself master of Drogheda and prepared to besiege Dundalk. After this, Newry, Trim and the neighbouring strongholds were soon taken, and Inchiquin returned to the Royalist camp near Dublin. In 1652, Charles II was in Holland and Inchiquin was called upon to defend himself against many charges brought by Sir Louis Dive. Charles investigated the matter while in Paris after his escape from Worcester, and on the 2nd of April 1652 wrote himself to Inchiquin to declare his confidence in him. On the 11th of May, Inchiquin was made one of the royal councils. At this time, the exiled king's council consisted of 11 persons divided into two parties. The majority consisted of Ormond, Rochester, Percy, Inchiquin, Taff and Hyde, who controlled the policy. While in exile in 1653, Inchiquin sought the command of all the Irish soldiers in France, but this was opposed by the Irish clergy, who told the nuncio that he was a murderer of priests, friars and such like. But he had either one or two regiments under him. In May 1654, he received an earldom which he had spurned ten years before. In September 1660, he was restored to all his honours and lands in Ireland and was confirmed by the Act of Settlement in 1662. An estate of about 60,000 acres in Clare, Limerick, Tipperary and Cork was thus secured. £8,000 was given to him out of the treasury in consideration of his losses and sufferings. He was compensated at the rate of £10 a day for his arrears as general in Munster before the 5th of June 1649 and received several other lucrative grants. Inchiquin seems to have lived quietly in Ireland during the greater part of his remaining years. In 1666, he was made a magistrate for Clare and lived at Dromolan Castle. But Rostellan on Cork Harbour became his favourite residence for his family. By a will made in 1673, Inchiquin left a legacy to the Franciscans and for other pious uses. He died on the 9th of September 1674 and was buried in St Mary's Cathedral, Limerick. James Fitzthomas Butler, 1st Duke of Ormond, 1610-1688, his friend, 
Strafford appointed him as commander of the Cavalier Forces in Ireland. From 1641 to 1647, he led the Royal Irish Army fighting against the Irish Catholic Confederation. Ormond attended King Charles I during August and October 1647 at Hampton Court Palace. But in March 1648, in order to avoid arrest by the Parliament, he left London and joined the Queen and the Prince of Wales in Paris. From 1649 to 1650, Ormond was the leading commander of the Royalist forces in the fight against the Cromwellian conquest of Ireland. Ormond lost most of the English and Protestant Royalist troops under his command when they mutinied and went over to Cromwell in May 1650. This left him with only the Irish Catholic forces, who distrusted him greatly. Ormond was ousted from his command in late 1650 and then lived in exile on the continent with King Charles II of England. Upon the restoration of Charles II to the throne in 1660, Ormond became a major figure in English and Irish politics, holding many high government offices. Ormond also served as the sixth Chancellor of Trinity College, Dublin, between 1645 and 1688, although he was in exile for the first 15 years of his tenure. In his estate in Carrigan Shore in County Tipperary, he was responsible for establishing the woollen industry in the town in 1670. Despite his long service to Ireland, he admitted that he had no wish to spend his last years here. Ormond died on the 21st of July 1688 at Kingston Lacey Estate, Dorset, in England. With O'Neill now in France following the flight of the Earls, I don't want to leave this era in the evolution of the Irish without a mention of Cardinal Richelieu, who tried very hard to encourage O'Neill and the other Earls to raise an army and return to Ireland to fight English Protestantism while supporting the Protestants in Europe. Richelieu provided General Thomas Preston with three frigates and a considerable quantity of arms and ammunition for the Irish Confederates. Preston sailed from Dunkirk and landed in Wexford in September 1642 with 500 officers including Colonels Sinnott, Cullen, Plunkett and Burke. Thomas Preston, 1st Viscount Tara, 1585-1655, was an Irish soldier After lengthy service as a mercenary in the Spanish army, Preston returned to Ireland following the outbreak of the Rebellion of 1641. He was appointed to command the Leinster Army of the Irish Confederacy, enjoying some success as well as a number of heavy defeats, such as the Battle of Duncan's Hill in 1647. The Irish army was intercepted on a march towards Dublin and destroyed. The battle was very bloody, with over 3,000 deaths, and had important political repercussions. Like other Confederate leaders, Preston was a Catholic royalist. He remained in close contact with the Lord Lieutenant, the Marquis of Ormond, and was a strong supporter of an alliance between Confederates and royalists against 
the English Parliament. Following the Cromwellian conquest of Ireland, he left for France, where he joined the Royalist court in exile, and was made Viscount Tara by Charles II. He died in October 1655. Made famous by Alexandre Dumas in his fictional novel The Three Musketeers, Cardinal Richelieu was factually and effectively the Prime Minister of France throughout this period. He was succeeded in this job by his friend Cardinal Mazarin, widely considered to be very unscrupulous and vindictive. And it is most confusing that both men in their foreign policy favoured the Protestant position. So what was the Vatican's view on this policy? This raises an issue about Rinocini, who spent a long time with Mazarin before he came to Kilkenny, and who seems to have been somewhat pro-French. Could he have been acting deliberately when he caused some chaos at the Confederation of Kilkenny? Reverend Giovanni Battista Rinocini, a Florentine archbishop, was the papal nuncio to the Confederation of Kilkenny. Like the Duke of Ormond, he had a great capacity to divide and confuse the Irish Catholics. On the 10th of January 1647, a general assembly met at Kilkenny and the Supreme Council of 24 were elected. Many of them opposed to making peace with the enemy. Yet, after many negotiations in April 1648, they agreed a truce. Rinocini was so enraged, he pronounced a sentence of excommunication against all who should respect it. And he left Ireland for Rome in March 1649, saying the sun had never shone on him. He was severely censored by Pope Innocent X for his want of prudence in the conduct of Irish affairs. He died in 1653 and is buried in the Cathedral of Fermo in Marche. Because he openly aligned France with Protestant powers, Richelieu was denounced by many as a traitor to the Roman Catholic Church. Military action at first was disastrous for the French, with many victories going to Spain and the Habsburg Empire. Neither side, however, could obtain a decisive advantage, and the conflict lingered on after Richelieu's death. Richelieu was instrumental in redirecting the Thirty Years' War from a conflict of Protestantism versus Catholicism to that of nationalism versus Habsburg dominance. In this conflict, France effectively drained the already overstretched resources of the Habsburg Empire and drove it inexorably towards bankruptcy. The defeat of Habsburg forces in the Battle of Lens in 1648, coupled with their failure to prevent a French invasion of Catalonia, effectively spelt the end for the staunchly Catholic Habsburg domination of the continent. Indeed, in the subsequent years, it would be France, under the leadership of Louis XIV, who would dominate. During Louis's reign, France had become the strongest economic and military power in Europe. The Sun King, as he was called, implemented reforms which improved commerce and trade, and he also introduced a more efficient 
taxation system. <laughs>